yard touchdown, running into first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Caught the five, it went through Marcus Sale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds Louis. to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tiger Town. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown, and it has weird audio for a second straight show. Thanks to me, Marshall Ferguson. Welcome in, everybody. Thank you for being here, as always. The show is brought to you by our good friends at Duck Hunter. No, I'm not talking about the classic Nintendo 64 game. I'm talking about Mike Riley's arm. Uh, if anybody oh. watching, Derek Taylor was in person calling that game. What did you think? I don't even want to ask you off the top here before we get to the sponsors and all our thank yeah. you, but what did you think, not when he checked in DT, but when that first ball went up that was just hanging in the air, flopping end over end? Because I was sitting in my basement and all I could think was, what the hell is happening? Uh, do, you, do you remember listening to Keith Jackson call college football games back in the day? Yep. He, he would always have a, a cute colloquial phrase that, that made you laugh. I channeled him uh, when Riley was going left to right and he threw one. And I believe it was uh, Do, uh, Dominic Rhines came back to, to get it. And I'm like, that old duck fell dead at the 18-yard line. That was my homage to Keith Jackson. Uh, they were so rough those passes i he was nowhere near wow. adequate in that game uh accurate on where's rally 57 percent thank goodness they they had some luck going their way right with rhymes making the one durant making the other and things kind of bouncing bc's way it just wasn't enough for them but Riley can't he can't keep playing like that no like that that's so unsustainable for them to try and keep him in there so we'll talk about that situation but I do laugh because hearing you say that that that's a perfect Keith Jackson line by the way like impersonation everything else that's fantastic but you made me think of old-timey football and when I think old-timey football and receivers bailing out their quarterback the way that BC did for Michael Riley in that game because there was some insane catches by Brian Burnham and Dominique Grimes oh. They're like running backwards five yards and diving and ripping it away from a defender. I'm like, this is crazy. The idea that they're, they're having to fight for balls that usually Riley would just stroke those right into their hands 35 yards further down the field. Uh, but I think that people look at the night that Brett Favre lost his dad and played on Monday Night Football against the Raiders at the Oakland Coliseum as being the greatest single night of receivers making incredible plays to save their quarterback. I think Michael Riley just surpassed that. I think that we now yeah. overrule the Favre game on Monday Night Football, and we have to go with Riley week one broken elbow as the game that <laughs> will forever signify for me receivers making you look better than you are playing. I, it just made me think, I haven't looked at this yet, but balls that were, were deemed uh, inaccurate and caught by receivers, I have to... I have to go back and find this. Well, I'll because... filibuster for a second while you're pulling that up because I was about to go crazy if you told me that you had tracked the Brett Favre Monday Night Football game uh, in Oakland. I was going to say, if you were doing that and you have that on file, I will just shut down this podcast because we will never get better than that. On inaccurate passes, uh, one, two, three, he completed four out of ten inaccurate passes 
for 40, 50, 66 yards. <laughs> because saved by receivers, saved twice by uh, Burnham, saved once by Durant, saved twice by Durant, in fact. I thought yeah. Oh, Rhymes had one that was ruled incomplete, but it was pretty good. Oh man, I, I can't believe that. It was it was yeah. unthinkable the way that that got going. But um, I mean, we might as well just finish off on BC here and talk about everything that happened with the riders before we get to the other three. The yeah. the Nathan Rourke going in storyline, um, I was ecstatic. As much as I want to watch Riley play, I never thought I'd get to see Nathan Rourke this early on because I know how good he is. I've watched, not, I'm not going to say, you know, I'm not Matt Dunnigan. I'm not grinding through Ohio game tape or Mid-American Conference game tape to find out what this kid's about. But I've seen enough of him and I've talked to him before, twice. I've talked to him in person one time at the John Cornish Award ceremony where he was named the top Canadian in NCAA football. Uh, and then I've talked to him on a Zoom where I did an interview here on CFP with him, which people can actually go back and check out if they'd like to in our feed, because it was a pretty extensive chat about his journey of getting to the CFL before uh, he got drafted by BC. It was in the lead up to the draft. And uh, he is so well thought out and so calm and his personality is just perfect in every single way. But then you actually look at the mechanics of his throwing and you saw it in person, which is always different in person, but he is mechanically sound. His footwork is good. He makes relatively smart decisions and he was doing it against a Saskatchewan defense that was just walking around in circles, trying to confuse him, sending blitzes from everywhere in that second quarter <laughs> because they knew that against a young quarterback who had taken four snaps in the entire first quarter, the start of the second quarter, they said, why don't we just start blitzing him and just make him get rid of the ball? He'll throw us one. Well, sure enough, he did. Like, obviously yeah. that's going to work, right? And so it was the most basic formula ever. But despite the fact that they lose, despite the fact they're down 28 nothing, 30 nothing, whatever it was at one point, yeah, I was impressed by him, like really, really impressed. How did you view Nathan Rourke coming out of that game? Um, I think his performance was dramatically altered by the fact that Riley went into the game. Like you said, Jason Shivers uh, just thought, I'm going I'm to have this guy killed. I'm going to go out and kill him. They blitzed him on 74% of his dropbacks. That is an incredible number, but exactly what you would expect. Oh, okay, you want to play pro football? Well, the speed is cranked up, and here's seven. Now figure it out. And oh, by the way, our back is is pretty is pretty solid to cover up for any holes. So I thought that was that was beautifully done. The blitzing just stopped when Riley went into the game in the third quarter, and I don't know why the decision to put Riley in then. He just says he felt better, whatever. But it, it's it changed the the tenor of the Saskatchewan defense, and it was now four man pressures and. Micah Johnson trying to get off the edge in three-man pressure so that when Rourke goes back in in that last drive, Saskatchewan hadn't quite turned it back up again in the attempt to, to have him killed. So uh, I, I thought that was that worked out well. And, I mean, that last play, the, the A.C. Leonard interception, just a rookie play, right? Like, uh, was it Riker Matthews is getting kind of pushed into his lap and he wants to throw it and he pulls back and I thought he was going to spin out but he then just went, okay, I got to get rid of this because I don't really know what else I, I can do. That was sort of my perception, both watching it live and watching it back later. It, it was a rookie-type performance. But for when I had concerns about, I don't know what his arm is because he completed 60%, under 60% in college, uh, his accuracy wasn't terrible uh, for what we expect. And we'll be better judges eight weeks from now when he's gotten some more reps. But I was, I was, as a Canadian football fan, I was happy to see that 
that performance from a guy who was literally thrust in at the last second. Yeah, the the two throws that jumped off the page to me that were good. Well, actually, I'll do the bad first, obviously, because of what you're talking about, the interception at the end of the game, he double-clutched it because, like you say, he just he didn't know where to go. And when you get the ball up here and there's pressure coming, you just kind of uh, – you just you let it go and you put it in the best spot possible. The one he left inside yeah. on the other interception, Nick Marshall pick six, um, mm. that was – just classic blitz a quarterback, play press coverage, jump a route, right? So, and I that's a formula that's always going to go against the young quarterback. So I'm not shocked that he had some struggles with that. The, the throws I will remember out of this, though, um, that tell me that there's a future for him there is... The touchdown drive? It Well, the, yeah, the touchdown drive. There's two of them. One was a second and 10 where he throws a ball over the middle to Brian Burnham. And I, I don't remember off the top of my head if Burnham was running... Uh, like a post curl or if he was running a, a just a deep dig or whatever it was but I think he mm. ran an in route from slot and he settled it down in between two linebackers and on second and 10 in the fourth quarter when you gotta have it Rourke planted his back foot on the drop moved the, the coverage a little bit with his eyes came back to the middle of the field knew exactly where Burnham was the timing the rhythm for a guy that hasn't had a ton of reps in the CFL albeit having a lot of reps in camp he ripped a shot right down the middle of the field, like right down the hash marks. And as soon as it jumped out of his hand and I saw the confidence in his stature and the way he stood in the pocket, I was like, man, that that's a professional football throw by a pro football quarterback. And it's the whole idea of him being Canadian to me. I don't even care. Yeah. I have a soft spot for Canadians. Yes. We'd love to see it. He's the second youngest Canadian to ever start a CFL game only beat by Russ Jackson by like six months which is insane because Russ Jackson basically started as like a second year in 1959 when he graduated from McMaster, like a year and a half, maybe earlier. Like it's, he was basically fresh out of school the way Rourke was. So it's pretty special to see throws like that. And then obviously the touchdown throw on the corner and did he stare it down? Absolutely. Would I stare down Brian Burnham if I had him to? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, he didn't have to move anybody. And again, for me, it's the confidence the release, the touch. As soon as I realized that he was getting set to load that up, watching it live, started to realize, okay, he's actually going to take a shot here. And then you see it come out of his hand. And I'm when it came out, I don't know why I thought I was like, oh, did he miss it? Like, did he, he I thought he, you know, airmailed it 10 yards over his head or something. And then you watch it just drop in over the top of coverage. And you're like, oh, okay. This is, this is different than what we had projected, I think, for him. Uh, as a pro but I I thought it was such a fun night in Saskatchewan unquestionably to me the best game of the weekend because of the intrigue the uh, no lead is safe the back and forth uh, Fajardo playing his mind out like Moss and what he's decided to do with the offense there the first couple of drives it was just it was masterful by Saskatchewan and yeah the scorelines real close and we got lots of intrigue and a Riley storyline but for me Saskatchewan in that game proved why they deserve to be at or near the top of every power ranking. And I don't care about Ooh. the idea of the second, really? third, yeah, the second, third quarter. Like I understand they fell asleep. They didn't produce as much as they should have. But again, I, a lot of the time early in the season, I don't go looking for results. I go looking for process. And when you show me that you can do what you did in the first quarter, that, that process to me, if you find a way to make that more consistent, that's a, that's a yeah. really, really, really terrifyingly talented team. Let me push back on that for a second yep. and get you. So they score touchdowns on the first three drives due to the riders. Nick Marshall interception, 28-0. Next drive, uh, next drive or the drive after, field goal 31-0. Uh, 
from there they get outscored 29 to 2 yeah and it would have been it would have been enough for bc if uh, the rookie yamasaki makes all his kicks fajardo throws one that tj lee hits him in the numbers and drops and there was luck going back the other way uh there was william powell 1.3 yards before contact that's a very low that, yeah, that really I, surprised me. I, I didn't see that coming because Winnipeg was still moving bodies up front on Thursday night against Hamilton in a way that was dominant. And I thought Saskatchewan would carry over that identity too. But is that yeah. is that an offensive line concern for you? Is that a system? Is that a, the way the game was called by Moss? Or what is that? Well, uh, Cody had his shortest depth of target since I, probably week one, the Hamilton game of 2019, where he came in in relief. His average throw was 6.8 yards downfield, which – he should be at 10. He, he yeah. was close to 10 in 2019. So no yards before contact for the running back to the point where there is a 31 minute stretch in the middle of the game where the riders did not run the football. No William Powell carries, no Marcus Murphy in relief carry, none. So I put those three things together and I go, my, my early hypothesis after week number one is they believe there's a problem with the, with the blocking. And we'll see how that plays out with Hamilton coming to town and guaranteed win night against Ottawa. But my early hypothesis, just based on that, is that they believe there's a problem in their protection. Hmm. Interesting. So they're trying to get the ball out quickly. They don't have faith in the running game, throw short stuff, and hope you get a lot of yak yards. Swinging out to Powell. There were a couple of swing passes to Powell instead of handing him off the, the ball on the inside. And Man, BC, as that game went along, BC got better and better. And Jordan Williams, the middle linebacker, okay, he's he's got to get in trouble for that hit to Fajardo's head. That cat flies yep. to the football. BC fans should be very excited about where that's going this year. Yeah, totally. And it's you know it's sad not to have Larry Dean in because of the Achilles injury, but I would have loved to have seen Larry Dean, Jordan Williams dueling middle linebackers because they play the game very similarly. And I, I respect Jordan Williams' game a lot. And I agree, he's, he's got to get in trouble for what happened uh, on the hit against Fajardo. But with that being said, like their defensive backfield, I thought once they settled down in, in BC, yeah. it played pretty well in, in behind Williams. So um, we'll see where they go. BC has got themselves a quick turnaround. Of course, they're going into Calgary coming up here in week number two. They're on the road again. They're the only team from the West to begin the first two games on the road back-to-back -back nice. as, as well. So they get the odd man out kind of syndrome there that uh, BC occasionally does along with, you know, once in a while it's Montreal, once in a while it's BC, Labor Day, odd man yeah. out, Thanksgiving, odd man out, these things happen. So, um, but let uh, me throw a quick number at you, Marsh. Yeah, for sure. The two phases of the Saskatchewan opens in that game, Fajardo started 15 for 15 for 141, which was fantastic. Had me Googling Jeremiah Masoli, 23 consecutive <laughs> completions. Uh, after that, 13 for 20 for 89 yards. Yeah. Four and a half yards an attempt. Do you after. have? Can you uh, can you sort there his targets when it comes to depth after the fifteen for fifteen? Because I, oh, I I feel as though the fifteen for fifteen, and it's not as though he was taking crazy shots in that fifteen straight, but obviously it was high percentage. It was classic Moss, and it was amazing. It actually yeah. it felt like an Edmonton game from the last couple of years. The way that they were mixing in just overpower you with the run for a couple of plays here or there. And then all of a sudden you switch it up and you go Trevor Harris, dink and dunk and dink and dunk. And we've been talking for two years about how Cody was going to be influenced by Moss. And that 15 for 15 showed it. But I'm wondering that depth of target and when they kind of lulled and went to bed and let BC come back into the game, what was it? 
So uh, 15 for 15, there were, there were only three passes over 10 yards, uh, 10, 11, and 13. The first incompletion was a corner route at 22 yards, and then a go route to Kyron Moore, which Keontae Harden shut down, was 47 yards. Then it was, you know, then it's all short and intermediate except for one more deep try. Uh, so they had, after the 15 for 15, they did have three deeper shots down the field and a couple of intermediate ones, but that was when the William Powell four yards behind the line of scrimmage came into play as well. So, yeah, it's uh, 15 for 15. It, they're all going to be short. Like, they're going to be short targets, right? Or else you're yeah. not going to have that success very often. But you it know what it honestly the, the two phases. Me? It, it honestly reminded me of the first start I ever had in university. And this is not me touting my university statistics. Come look them up. They're not good. Uh, but we played a game basically on three days notice. Our starting quarterback had been suspended and I got a start and we went into Windsor and they were nationally ranked at the time. And I didn't really appreciate how the game had been called or how I had been protected until five years later, where I think back to my <laughs> first ever start in university and I began the game with, I think, 13 straight completions. And then I, I kind of go back and I think about the throws that they were giving me and the way that we had game planned. And at that point, you're too young and stupid to realize what coaches do to try and protect you when either you're young or your offensive line is young. Yeah. But it was, you know, cluster packages where we were flying a guy to the flats who was always wide open because the linebacker couldn't cover him because we were clustering and making people run over the top. We were running screens we were running bubbles we were running smokes we were like the whole thing and of course i get on the bus that night and i'm flexing because i'm like i completed 13 straight and then five years later you look back you're like if you didn't complete 13 straight there would have been something wrong with your arm so i that's like you're saying it's going to be short stuff safe stuff but there's no harm in being crazy efficient and that's obviously what he was to begin the game yeah he just fajardo had to had the pick and Another pick dropped. There were it wasn't his best accuracy-based performance, but uh, it wasn't the best yardage-based performance. It, it was just it was really intriguing because as calling the game after the 28-31 nothing, it just went, oh, wait a minute, this game has turned. And now Riley is moving the ball and they're adding up some points. And John, my stats guy who has been doing it for years, is like, oh, it's another two and out. Like, what's well, three straight two and outs? You go, wow, that's this game is is really in different phases. So yeah. I I, yeah, nothing, nothing. I don't think this game changed much for me. I think BC is, is on the rise. I think Saskatchewan is, you know, in the top half of the league. Yep. Uh, I just need to see which, which half of, of that game is the real riders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we move on to the other three games here, let you know that of course we are brought to you by our good friends at Fox 40. Are you geared up for game day? Head over to fox40shop.com for Fox 40 gear, whistles, and coaching boards. Use the code CFP15 at checkout and get 15% off of your order. Uh, which game would you like to attack next there, DT? Can we talk about the uh, the Elks and the Red Blacks? Yes, because I need, I need to know which narrative is the one. Uh, I've, I've heard this past weekend, well, Jason Moss's offenses can't convert in the red zone, and that's the problem. And then I heard, well, Trevor Harris can't convert in the red zone. Like, those two do not work together anymore. Can we pick a narrative on who sucks in the red zone, please? Can we just pick one? Come on. Uh, yeah, I. Um, it's funny because I think – I don't know if you're like this. I, I feel like you are more of a, a true analyst. I'm a football fanboy a lot of the time because I heard people talking about Ottawa Edmonton, and they were saying, 
wow, that was a dog's breakfast. Like the first quarter, quarter and a half. And for me, I'm like, oh, I don't know. There was a lot of interesting moments in that. Like I was trying to find the good in what that first quarter essentially was. And I think the most interesting thing that I really, there's, there's two things that come to mind here on just how uh, tough it can be to win football games and how the margins are so small, the differences between these two teams. It's part of the reason I love a 19 league because man, there are, there's a lot of teams that just are jammed in the middle always, but Toronto, I picked them to win on CFL.ca against a lot of other people that picked Calgary at home. And I, I was kind of, you know, in the basement watching the game and thinking to myself, well, it'd be nice if Toronto won because then I can, you know, look smarter than I actually am and get credit for this and all the rest. <laughs> and Deshaun Amos tracks down who was it that ran all that distance and got the ball punched out from behind when Amos tracked uh, Ricky Collins yeah it was Ricky Collins thank you so and that happens and I'm like and then you go into the fourth quarter it's like a three-point game and I'm going yeah but I mean if if Ricky Collins just has the ball in his left hand this game feels like it's over right now because Toronto's got control but they're still trailing right and then the other one was in that game if and I've had this before as a quarterback too if the Edmonton receiver doesn't punch the ball directly into the hands of Abdul Kane, and like we're talking about a completely different storyline here because that game does not go as heavily in their direction because they had like 71 yards passing or something. Ottawa did like, yep. it, it was, I, I think politely it was abysmal. Like it was, it was ugly, <laughs> really, really ugly for Ottawa in the passing attack. Edmonton's defensive backfield. I get it. Like Mincy is, physical in that boundary corner you got rose out there you got like you got five you got guys that can do it that have done it for a long time but i just i don't know what to take out of this game with ottawa i saw that ottawa on cfl.ca dt stayed at the bottom of the power rankings despite getting a win and edmonton yeah, is still two, two spots ahead of them and i think a lot of people are going how is that possible well i think the people that are deciding on that which by the way i don't vote on that dt doesn't vote on that it's an internal thing the people that are deciding that are saying Ottawa got a win because they got a couple of big plays and a couple of touchdowns. The same way that Toronto won a great cup against Calgary because they got a couple of big plays and a couple of touchdowns out of them. But the actual look of the team, the way that they accomplished it, does anybody really think, and I hate to do this because Red Blacks fans have been all over me for the last couple of days for picking against them, despite the fact that everybody else on the planet did. Uh, <laughs> it, the idea that Ottawa can sustainably win with less than a hundred yards passing and a running back not named Andrew Harris is a joke. There's no yeah. way that can continue. Like this is going to be the outlier in the three and 15 season where they go in Dominique Davis throws a bunch of interceptions and they win in Calgary in 2019. Is this not going to feel the same by the end of the year where people are looking back and saying, how in the hell did that happen? Because this feels like this is not something that can continue for them. You hit it right there when you said the word sustainable. Are you going to get three interceptions from a quarterback who protects the ball all the time? No, this is an absolute outlier game for Trevor Harris. So you needed that. You needed a long, long return uh, to, to get a win because your offense, uh, Matt Nichols, where are we officially? 12 of 19 for 71 yards. Timothy Flanders, 22 yards rushing off the top of my head. Uh, you can't. No, that's not going to happen. A win is a win. Yeah. A win is a win. That is absolutely true. Four picks in uh, in week one in 2019 was a win. Did it, did it say great things were coming? No. Well, the next week, they run roughshod over Saskatchewan. You thought, oh, maybe they are for real. And then you go, oh, by the way, they finished one and 15 after that. 
Yeah. Uh, this this is not a win that inspires confidence. And coaches coaches look at it because they have to. Did we win or did we lose? But our job is to go. What does that tell me about their next thirteen games? And it tells me Ottawa cannot move the ball. And here's here's the thing I need folks to also take in. If you don't think Edmonton is very good and they're what seventh in the power rankings and people think they're abysmal, if you don't think Edmonton is any good, what does that say about about, about Ottawa yeah. when they need three picks from a terrible team to squeak out a win and an interception return for a touchdown because they could not do anything of their own? So we have to kind of balance this all out. In my mind, nothing changes for Edmonton. I still think Edmonton has the potential to be great this season, and I think. Trevor Harris will not, again, throw three interceptions in a game. So I'm not uncomfortable with this. James Wilder put up huge numbers, maybe a little less in the passing game. Might be nice for him. Darrell Walker, he looked just fine. Clean up three interceptions, don't allow one for a touchdown. A defense absolutely smothered the Red Blacks. Like, smothered. The bloodless coup, it's all smothering. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, my wrap-up thought on this one is also comparison shopping, like you just said about the power rankings and how – like we must view Ottawa if Edmonton's down in seven and they're still not even able to jump them. My comparison shopping on this is if we talk about it being a moral victory, right, for Ottawa, where we don't think it's sustainable, but a win is a win. Congratulations, Ottawa. You you earned it. You went out. You found a way. Like, that's fantastic. And yeah. again, I'm not holding it against them. I don't wish them any ill will. But what I'm saying here is if that is one of the best things that we can get out of Ottawa at this point, and they squeak that out and they do it in that fashion where, hell, if Trevor Harris decides to not check the ball down on the final play of the game, throw to a fullback who can't run, maybe we're talking about Edmonton getting a win here, you know? So it's like, but my point is, if Ottawa comes away from that and they're like, we won, but ugh, how do you think Jamie Elizondo and, and the Elks feel? <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, what would the feeling have been that game if they get the printout and they're back in the locker room and they're in the coaches' booths and they, they see 71 yards passing and they realize they lost and they realize where Ottawa stacks up in the league. And it was fireworks night. And it was, uh, you know, the debut of the Elks and the 35,000 t-shirts and all of that stuff, which by the way, the branding did look incredible in Edmonton. So shout out to them for that. Yeah. That was, that was the, the only win of the night, I think for Edmonton, but, um, but the idea of, of Edmonton having to self-assess after that Ottawa game, it's just, that couldn't have been comfortable. That must've been a really, really rough, film session for them to go through and, and realize that this was not your typical well we missed five to ten plays this was we missed on 50 plays to do better and I think they will I think they'll be fine but uh, I can't imagine the psychology that goes behind that uh, their defense allowed three field goals two of those drives appear to have started in Edmonton territory that's a at least half that team played terrific well the offense put up over 400 yards as well. Like there's nothing that game should have been a 21 point blowout. Yeah. It should have been the game we all kind of predicted. And football is a game of bounces, right? The Saskatchewan BC game, honestly, the bounces went pretty evenly. This one, they did not. And Ottawa props to them. They prospered and they won because of it. Yep, absolutely. Uh, let's move on here next to uh, just a quick recap of Hamilton Winnipeg because it feels like it was a month ago. Uh, but Brady Oliveira was fantastic. Obviously, his touch is probably a little bit inflated because they wanted him to chew clock in the fourth quarter. I'm not going to detract from a guy who grinds clock when they want him to grind clock, though. So that was nice. But uh, Zach Laros, I thought, looked as confident as I've seen him in quite some time. His 
Yep. His release and his ability to run around, and he, he was just toying with Hamilton. He really was, and it was amazing to watch. He seemed like he was – and, again, I don't want to read too much into it, but, like, you know, on, on Instagram, if anybody's following Zach, he's there with his wife and his young daughter, and he seems happy as can be. He spends every moment away from the facility with them, at peace, loves Winnipeg, loves the Bombers organization, appreciates Buck Pierce, has this connection to him as a, as a warrior who's gone through a lot of injuries in their careers. They understand each other. They work well together. I just, there's a lot of good mojo around Zach right now that I, I don't know how high up they can climb uh, to get back to the top of the mountain because that's one of the most difficult things to do in all of sports. But I do know that the eye test of Winnipeg playing at home and being able to have that type of energy around them was, was pretty, pretty special right now. What stood out to you here in the opener of the season? This was the game I had hoped it was Marshall. And, and you may know I'm about to go on the particular running back doesn't matter <laughs> in football um, because for a couple of reasons, I, I was up to it going, man, I hope Oliver has a great game so I can have another little building block in my, in my wall of running backs. Don't really matter. Uh, do you think Andrew Harris would have had any different impact in that game? I, I honestly don't because Oliveira was, was nice, right? And so one side is that Winnipeg has three of the top six running backs in the Canadian Football League in, in Harris, Augustine, and Oliveira. Or their scheme and their, their offensive line is really good. Uh, Oliveira, when it, by the time it was 16-6, to six, had 10 carries for 41 yards. Yeah. Fine. After it was 16 to six, he added 12 more carries for 85 yards. Right. Oliver, I know it's, it's a great story. And Oliver seems like such a good dude. Running didn't win in the game. Passing won the game because uh, this is subject to review, but Kalaro's accurate on 93% of his passes in that game. Yeah. That, right. Um, Kenny Lawler. Oh, no, Darvin Adams. That's cool. We're good with Kenny Lawler. Uh, Winnipeg looked really good. The defense. I mean, Hamilton drives down the field on, on the first drive of the game, and then that's it? That's They're done? It's over? Wow. Winnipeg had a real – Hamilton beat up pretty badly with the injuries and then in-game injuries. So I, I weigh that when I look at them going forward. But Winnipeg took a good team and just turned them into nothing. Yeah, and now I think the interesting next test is they get another Ontario foe as Toronto comes in, right, this week. And I think – Based on what we saw from Toronto in Calgary, they've shown that they are willing road warriors, that they like going into situations and trying to fight their way through. And we've seen that they're playing a lot of 30 front in Toronto as well. Well, is Zach going to be messed up if they go 30 front and drop nine into coverage a lot of the time? Will they try to heat up Zach at all? That's another question. Maybe they switched up completely from week one and they go with a, a varied dress, a lot of defensive linemen and bring a lot of heat type of look. So um, something to keep an eye on in that game, I think, is how Toronto adjusts to what Winnipeg does because Calgary didn't really adjust. I predicted that Calgary was going to have to adjust a lot in that game in order to mm. get through because the coaching staff on Toronto knows so much about Calgary systems. I just didn't see that there was a lot of evolution in that game. It was just Calgary was like, this is what we do. We're going to try to beat you with it. Oh, we can't. Uh, but when I watch back and, and see some of what happened with Winnipeg, I'm like, they're a, they're a different monster because – that line up front, I got, I got to give a shout out to my guy, Drew Desjardins, uh, out of the University of Windsor, who I was a, such a huge fan of him going into the draft process, watching him, looking at his combine numbers, freak. He's basically the best offensive lineman off the top of my head that I've scouted. The one that I've liked the most 
since Jeff Gray, who also got drafted by Winnipeg. Like, it's just the Bombers just do this where they find these great offensive linemen. I'm telling you, Desjardins had his way with Simone Lawrence when I watched back that game various times. And that's not easy to do, but he did it, and it didn't even seem like a big deal. He wasn't celebrating. He wasn't smack-talking. He is such a stud on that offensive line. And and playing next to Stanley Bryant doesn't hurt, uh, as we all know. (laughs) So it's crazy what Winnipeg's able to do up front. And as long as Oliveira is in there, he's going to keep pounding the rock with them. I'd be interested to see if they get to the point where Oliveira is the the take-over-the-game dominant guy uh, before it becomes 16-6. to Because I think that's going to be the true sign that he is going to produce long-term moving forward. But this was absolutely a building block in that argument that you're making that Arby's don't matter because I can't imagine Andrew Harris having a better night than Oliveira did. Yeah, I mean, we've seen in that Winnipeg team, Andrew Harris does great things, Johnny Augustine does great things, and now Brady Oliveira did great things against a team we thought was pretty good in the Hamilton Tiger Cats. That's three different guys, so either they're three of the best running backs in the league all on the same team, or it's everything else around them that absolutely makes them go. Uh, may I have a point of order as the governor of Kalaros Island? Of course. How great is CFL football when Zach Caleros is just ripping around the pocket looking for a throw to make? And he was sacked an unusually high number of times when he was under pressure. He's usually sacked 17, 18% of the time when he's under pressure. This was over 40. But man, there's nothing better than Zach just ripping around looking to make a play. He is yep. so good at it, and it's so entertaining. So as the governor of Caleros Island, I just want everyone to acknowledge that uh, that our our Lord Zach Caleros is back. <laughs> I'm glad you made that point because I laughed when Kyle Mello and I were doing Marshmallow here on CFP on Monday, and Kyle said, like, Zach always wants to get to his throwing arm side. Why is it so hard to do that? Just treat him like a basketball player, send him left. I'm like, Kyle, he'll run 35 yards to the left, and then he'll spin yeah. back and go all the way to the right sideline. I'm like – that's what he wants to do, but he he toys with defensive linemen who are vastly more athletic than him. Like, <laughs> yeah. he took Ja'Garrett Davis on one play in this game and just, like, ran backwards to the left five yards, spun and ran to the right, and Davis blew a tire. And I'm like, how is that possible? So this is what I laugh at, DT, all throughout the offseason in football. We always see these videos of you know defensive linemen defensive backs going through ladder drills and and jumping through tires and doing all these crazy offseason workouts people like wow man that dude and it's not that they're not athletic it's just that if you get a crafty enough quarterback none of that shit matters none of it matters like he'll just find a way and zach is so Mm. so crafty and i can't wait for long-haired zach kalaros to be on a great cup podium again uh, because I hope he gets to the point where he's man bunning and just being so quirky and different and fun. And I, he's so much fun. I can't wait to see him against Toronto's front seven coming up in this game on, uh, is it Friday or Saturday? I can't remember when, when Toronto and Winnipeg are playing. Uh, I believe that's the Friday one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's Friday night. I'm pretty sure in Winnipeg, which if you're in Winnipeg, you get a Thursday night followed by a Friday night. That's a party. That's, that's pretty mm-hmm. sweet. No. That's good stuff. All right, let's move on to the last game here. Uh, A couple of words on Toronto, Calgary, Uh, aside from the entire Toronto coaching staff not wearing their masks on the sideline the entire game, which just looked awful. Were they Uh, not? Oh, no. uh, Yeah, I mean, every time they cut to the sideline, I was like, guys, watch any gamer on the league, and you'll see that everybody else has their masks up and around, which I don't know how much people care about that because there's fans in the stands crushing beers and hugging each other that are not masked up, but whatever. It's just – 
it, it, it didn't look great. Just like Kamar Jordan jumping into the stands. I'm like, I don't think I would do that during COVID if we're trying to keep the season going and those fans are not masked. But uh, aside from any of that stuff, the football itself, it was good. Uh, the Toronto uh, offense to start the game, I thought McLeod Bethel-Thompson, there, there's never a question that McLeod can make all the throws. Like he's always been that guy. It's whether or not his decision-making is sound. And in this Toronto offense with Ryan Dinwiddie, because it brings flavors of the Dave Dickinson consistency that Bo Levi Mitchell has experienced and Drew Tate experienced and Henry Burris experienced when Dave was the OC in Calgary. It feels like it's, it's taken the wild man, the throw maker of Macbeth and it's harnessed him within a system where they're like, you can still make your wild throws, but we're going to structure them more than you've previously had. So uh, I don't know what the ceiling is for Toronto offensively, but I do know that defensively, I'm just thoroughly entertained when every single play in the backfield, I'm either watching Charleston Hughes or Coney Ely or Sean Oakman. We don't, we didn't even say his name, but I stared at him the whole game because I was just, I was trying to figure out like why he's so damn tall and why he's playing defensive tackle in that spot and the reach advantage that he has. And so there was a lot of, of fun aspects of Toronto getting the victory in this game. And for Calgary, it's just, it felt empty. It did. Like it, you just came away from this game. I think saying we've got talent, We've got, I think Ambles is really nice. I was impressed by him. Josh Huff had a couple of moments. Uh, Herjim Ayala, Colton Hunchak, I wanted a little bit more out of in that game, but that might've been unrealistic. They just took penalties at bad times, a poor completion percentage at various points in the game when they needed to have it on second down. Uh, but Toronto, I think Toronto's for real. Like I had a real hard time this week trying yeah, to use between, between Toronto and Winnipeg in that game. I took Winnipeg because I have no reason to doubt them. But, I mean, Toronto should be really competitive with Winnipeg based on what we saw in Calgary. Yeah, I think Toronto's a six-and-a-half-point dog in that game. That that seems nuts at this point. Uh, you know how, uh, in certain circles, folks serve on boards of multiple companies and organizations? Yep. As the governor of Kolaros Island, I want to be a board <laughs> member of whatever MBT is is working. Because I I had said on, on, on the sports cage leading up to this, if, if McLeod Bethel-Thompson, and I know he came in as the backup, if McLeod Bethel-Thompson starts, I've been saying, he's not giving the job up. Yeah. I think he's that good. And I think his, he gets yards and blowouts is, is overblown. He gets more than other CFL quarterbacks, but it's not so many of us. And I think those late game situations force him into making bad decisions back in 2019. We didn't see that in this game. Like, 354 and two touchdowns and no picks. Yeah. And then uh, if you can talk to anybody in the CFL office, he's eighth in the quarterback power rankings. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I am I am full on MBT and I wish, uh, I don't know what's plaguing Nick Arbuckle right now, whatever injury he's dealing with. Uh, you're not getting that job back because uh, MBT, I just think he is fantastic. And I, if when you pick Calgary to not be first or second in the West, you're going to take flat. Yeah, because they always do it. They've won a double digit games forever and this and that. Tell me how it does. If, if you're a Calgary Stampeder stand, tell me how it's not a big deal that they lose the opener to the Argos. Yeah, that's it. That's a big deal. The opener at home to the Argos. Tell me they're loaded with talent and Huff can make magic. Well, where was it? Because what I saw in the final part of that game was Toronto had however many minutes on the clock. They marched down the field, got the winning points, and the game was over, and Calgary couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, I think I think there's some real nice points to this Calgary team, but Calgary and Toronto are at least in the same tier, in my mind, in the CFL yeah. right now. 
Yep, I'm with you on that. And I, I giggle when you say, I don't know what's plugging Nick Arbuckle because I don't either. And you know why I don't know? Mm. On his social media, he posted a video of him squatting 500 pounds for three reps. What? Yeah. Wow. So I don't know if the Argos actually think it's a hamstring, if it actually is a hamstring, uh, if we're being told it's a hamstring and there's something else going on there. But what I do know is a person with a hamstring injury isn't squatting 500 pounds if they're not able to get onto the football field. Mm. So that was weird as hell to me. And I, again, I'm not going to speculate and go crazy on whatever that might be, but just food for thought here on the way out, as you say, because I think, yeah, you're right. McLeod Bethel Thompson is going to be the starter as long as he's performing at a high enough level. And even if Arbuckle is to come in and I, I really liked Nick, I, I like talking to him. He's an interesting guy. He's got a great story, but if he gets the opportunity and he doesn't make the most of it, think about what his career path right now will be. It'll be backup in Calgary, gets an opportunity, shines enough. He's the big stud. Everybody wants him. Ottawa makes a trade for him. Oops, Ottawa doesn't actually want you. Goes to Toronto. McLeod steals your job. Where are you going? Like, where do you go from there? You become a backup, low percentage uh, salary guy against the salary cap somewhere in the West when somebody memes a James Franklin because James Franklin was the same thing bounce around so much promise. He's the next star. Oops. He's not okay. He's a backup. Oh, look, he's retired. And like that, Nick is at real risk of running that career path right now, which is unfair to say after week one, but yeah. it's just McLeod doesn't look like he's given that up as you say anytime soon. So I'm, I'm concerned for Nick that that's going to be, I don't think that we're not going to see him this year. I think we will at some point, but that's a, that's a really tough spot to be in for him when you thought you were the guy in Ottawa then you thought you were the guy in Toronto, and now you're not. Yeah. If Toronto wins in Winnipeg this week and they're 2-0, uh, you can have MBT when you pry them out of my cold, dead hand. Yep. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what that's going to be. As, as you saw the, uh, the eight teams go, Marsh, and we'll get Montreal starting this week, did anything from week one change your opinion of any of those eight teams? Uh, I mean, Edmonton made me doubt. They, they really made, okay. they made me doubt some stuff just because I thought that it would be, I predicted everywhere that I was talking, writing, whatever, that it was going to be a Walker and Ellingson show. And I mean, they put up yards and whatnot, but it didn't feel like one of those marquee punch in, show everybody how good you're going to be punch out type of days. It was just confusing to me. Like I didn't really understand um, how they weren't able to put more up on the scoreboard and how they weren't able to look like the team I thought they'd be. So that, that would be my biggest question mark, even more so than Calgary at this point, is um, how does Edmonton rebound and when do they become the team or do they become the team that we all think they were going to be? Uh, and then the one that I think really jumped out to me that was, was fun, aside from Ottawa winning the game despite taking 65% of their snaps when they were trailing on the scoreboard, uh, <laughs> which is a, a funny, quirky stat that I looked up. But uh, the one that jumped out to me that I was really impressed by, honestly, was Saskatchewan first drive. Like when they set the tone, and I understand sometimes that stuff is scripted. I don't know if Moss scripts his stuff or not, but that felt like a scripted, formulaic that, I mean, that was not a science experiment. That was a science exhibition of what he did. It was look at how I can add these things together and how good they look on the other side. So those are the two things that jump out to me is I was so impressed by Saskatchewan in their early promise. And then obviously when it comes to Canadians, like the fact that we have a Rourke and an Oliveira representing Canadian young players jumping in. And again, it's not like they were all stars of the week, but that proves to me that the people that we are scouting and talking about in the CFL draft, that it matters because there's real players available in those drafts. 
Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, Rourke's, Rourke was the big surprise, I think, for me, because I didn't know what to expect. And he actually fared pretty well for a rook. From the eight teams that played, Hamilton might be a fraction worse than I thought, but it's so tough to tell with all the injuries in important positions. And if they get Van Zyl back this coming week, that'll be a problem for Saskatchewan. Um, Calgary, Toronto, Saskatchewan, BC, Ottawa, maybe uh, they're all kind of what I thought they were. I'm, I, I'm still high on the Elks, but we'll see what week two has for us. We are, uh, we're going to come up with a voting system when we get off this call, and we're going to create our own CFP power rankings each week with uh, voters of you, me, Wade, Connor, Austin, Owens. Uh, we'll, we'll get everybody in there, and we will make our own power rankings. I think it'll be interesting. Your, your vote will count more, though. You'll, you'll have a, a weightier vote, I promise, uh, <laughs> because DT is putting in the work there to make sure he understands what's happening here early in the season. Yeah, folks in Ottawa will love you for that. That'll be, uh, <laughs> be extra good for them. Twelve. Well, the Red Blacks. Yeah. Uh, thank you, as always, to our good friends at Sawdust City Brewing, of course, offering brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door. Go to sawdustcitybeer.com to shop the wide variety of brews and to learn more. And use that promo code CFL when you get the opportunity to get free shipping on your first order over $100 available to Ontario residents only and must be of legal drinking age. Uh, I have to run away right now because I have to do a hit with some show called The Sports Cage that, mm. uh, that my co-host has neglected to work on today. So uh, I'm chatting with Mitchell Blair on there, but we are back coming up. I've got on Friday, the A block, of course, where we flip Marshmallow and the A block opposite sides because Marshmallow wanted to go on Mondays and hey, we make the rules. So we flipped it over. And of course, DT and myself will be back to recap week number two in the CFL season coming up for you. Hope that everybody has a fantastic weekend. DT, enjoy the games this weekend, my man. Thanks, brother, you too.